Well, good morning. We start a new series for the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve entitled, Who Needs Christmas? And we'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be in a few spots today, but we will start there as we begin this series. And as we begin, I have I've often thought to myself what it would be like for me to be dropped into a culture in a different time period than I have right now, one that I knew nothing about, none that I dropped in and I probably wouldn't understand or couldn't comprehend or couldn't grasp what was going on around me. I've often thought, what would it be like? I thought recently as I looked at headlines in the newspapers and on TV, what would it be like for somebody to get dropped into our culture today from another time period? (laughs) What would they think when they read the headline? I thought to myself, and I just looked at them this week. One was, can North Korea really nuke Washington, (laughs) D.C.? House voting on whether or not to have mandatory sexual harassment training. The president has put Merry Christmas back in Christmas. I didn't know the Merry was gone, but evidently it is. Uh, Email scandals, FBI scandals, sexual allegations piling up in Hollywood. I look at that, and I wonder if somebody came in and they just read the headlines, what they would think. As we start this new series, Who Who Needed Christmas? I think for us, we really need to ask ourselves, who does need Christmas? I look at the headlines, and I read what goes on in the world. I really do think the world needs Christmas. But for us that have come very familiar with this little story out of Matthew or out of Luke, it's just so much bigger and grander and I think so much more spectacular. And today we're going to set the foundation for the next few weeks and we're going to look at the story. So this morning at 926, I know it's really early, but um, are you ready for a little bit of a history lesson because there's going to be a little bit of history. Are you okay? Yeah, you sound like you're half asleep. You're going to be awake and you're not going to fall asleep. If you fall asleep, I'll call you on it like I was the teacher in school. This is going to be awesome. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to go back to the beginning and in Genesis. We're going to look and see really what was going on. And I think as unbelievable as the Christmas narrative is, it is remarkable that over three or 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God began this story. There was this man by the name of Abram at the time. We're going to call him Abraham because it's just much easier for me. But he went from Abram to Abraham. But at this time, Abraham receives this promise from God. And I just believe in his context and where he was and what was going on in his life that it couldn't have made any sense to him. He couldn't have understood it. He couldn't have grasped it. He couldn't have gotten his arms around it. But yet God came and he spoke clearly to Abraham. And here's what he said, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this, I think, had to be overwhelming to him, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed by you. God says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave every family member, every person that's close to you, right in your circle. I I want you to leave those that are in your neighborhood. I want you to leave what you've been familiar with. I want you to leave your patterns. 
I want you to leave your schedule, and I want you to trust me. Now think about it, Abraham was about 75 years at this point, and, and I don't know that he's going, okay, I'm just going to leave everything, and I'm going to be a father to all these nations and all these people. Why don't we just start here? I have no kids. It would be really cool if I could just be like a great-grandfather instead of a great name to all the nations. Let's just start somewhere else. And I think he might have been thinking, you're going to call me famous, that my name's going to be famous. I think I'm probably going to be forgotten because what you are asking me to do is leave everyone and everything. And once I leave everyone... No one will know who I am. I'm going to be forgotten, God. Maybe he didn't think that, but that's what I would have thought. Have you ever left the comforts or the, the closeness of all that you know and have gone somewhere else to a foreign land? Um, I did that uh, when I was 18 years old. I left St. Louis, Missouri and came to the foreign land of California. And I had no clue. Uh, my mom and dad put me on a red eye my freshman year to go to Azusa Pacific University. And they took me to the airport, and we were late. And so they had to, to leave me because I ran to my plane just to get on the plane. And I got on the plane, and, and we flew, I flew to San Diego. My brother was an admissions director at Point Loma Nazarene University. And so I spent the night, got there in the middle of the night, and he took me to Point Loma. If you've ever been to Point Loma, my son's there. It is ocean views everywhere. And he showed me this unbelievable campus, and I looked at it, and then he said, well, let's go up to Azusa. <clears throat> and we drove an hour and a half up to Azusa. I didn't know what Azusa was. Now, today, Azusa Pacific, here's a picture of it. Here's what it looks like. It is massive, two campuses, 11,000 students. But when I went to Azusa Pacific, here's what it looked like when I drove up. That's Barstow. It was like Barstow. It was the middle of the desert. It was the land of the unknown. It literally, the Alpha Beta was on the corner, and I pulled up, and there's this old rickety house with dead grass around it and this little sign that said Azusa Pacific University in 1986. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I came two weeks before school started for a music camp. <laughs> and my brother drove me up to music camp, and he, he hugged me, and he said goodbye. And he left me. He's still not sorry for doing that, but he just left me. And I remember going back to the dorms in Smith Hall, and since I was early and I was the only freshman in the choir and orchestra, the football team were the only people there. And there was this 120-pound band geek and all the football players in the dorm, and they weren't very nice to me. And I sat in my dorm room, and I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing here? Have you ever been there? I called home and I said, can I come home? And they said, no. They didn't want me either. <laughs> and I wasn't going home till Christmas. And I was in this foreign land with nobody I knew and nothing familiar and no furniture, just a little bed, some top ramen. <laughs> Abraham was given a call. Think about it. He had no idea. The only thing God said is, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. The question is, will you trust me? In these ancient, ancient times, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary message. Not only did they not know anything else beyond their family or their clan, there was extraordinary, extraordinary violence that went on. And as we read the Old Testament, many of you, it probably kind of bugs you because you look at the Old Testament and you go, oh my gosh, this place is unbelievable. Look at all the violence and look at all the killing. And we understand it through a different lens and a different perspective because we are on the other side of Christmas. 
In this, this was just normal practice and normal life to them. It was their way of living. But Abraham, God said to him, listen, I'm going to be a part of your story. I'm going to be a part of your grandkids' story and your great-grandkids' story and your children's 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 story. You just have to trust me and believe. Now, if you've grown up in the church or if you're Jewish and you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that eventually, at old age, Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son. And as they had a son, I'm going to put up here a, a picture of Abraham's family tree, all right? So you can kind of see the family tree. So Abraham marries Sarah. In fact, they had two sons. There's Isaac and there's Ishmael. And then we go down and Isaac had a, a couple sons up there. You see Jacob and then there's Esau. And I could go into a long story, but you don't need to go in there because it's a lot of detail about Jacob and Esau. But Jacob then has 12 sons, as you see in the red box. There's the 12 sons, or it is called the tribes, the sons of Israel. And there they are. One of the sons is Joseph. And if you know anything about Joseph, he ends up in Egypt, and consequently, uh, the, the entire family, his brothers, 11 brothers, are deciding, they throw him in a well, and they decide we're either going to sell him or we're going to kill him. We're going to sell him or we're going to kill him. Now, you think you have sibling rivalries and dysfunction in your family. This dude, Abraham, he created dysfunction. And then it went down to Joseph, and they're like, hey, we're going to kill him, we're going to sell him, throw him in the well. They decided to sell him because there was way more profit with him being sold than being killed. And so they sell him, he goes into Egypt, and this group of people, as it started from Abraham, becomes this nation. And as they go into Egypt, the family becomes a nation of slaves. <laughs> and can you imagine what's going on generation after generation? Now they've moved, they've become a nation, but they're in slavery. And I think they had to listen to the promises that were passed down to Abraham and go, you got to be kidding me. This story's never going to come true. This is not going to happen. Do you see who we are and what's going on? They probably heard them pass down the stories from generation to generation. They probably sang the songs like we did if you grew up in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had fathers. See, you're doing it. Abraham. Okay, enough. And then they started to lose hope. I don't know about you, but if I'm living in a nation of slaves and it's been passed down that there's all these promises and none of them are coming true, now all of a sudden I'm looking and I'm going, this just isn't going to happen. And you stop believing. God sends a deliverer on the scene a little bit later. His name was Moses. Moses, when he gets done with everything, nobody feels blessed. Most of you know the story. They make their way into the promised land. All they do is complain. They wish they were back in slavery because it was so much better there. The food was better there. And God was saying, I have something for you. Are you going to trust me? And you're going to have to walk through the desert. And you're going to have to walk through the valley. But I am with you right now. The issue is, do you believe me? Are you going to trust in all that you know? Are you going to trust in all that I know? And they kept wanting to go back and go back. But they made their way into the promised land. Bloodshed and violence now reign supreme. And uh, really, we look at it, and, and, and they had a different perspective. But about a thousand years goes by, and this family becomes a nation. And then it becomes a kingdom. It's the kingdom of Israel. If you were here over the last few months, in the summertime, we went through a series on David. And David... <laughs> Becomes the man who leads Israel. He's the warrior king. It's under peace and prosperity like it's never seen before. It's finally in a position to be someone and something significant. And David passes it on to his son Solomon, who's a builder king. And he expanded the reach of the nation. 
He was one of the wisest men, Scripture said, that ever lived. People came from all over, not just to sit at his feet and hear wisdom. They came to look at what he had built, and he had built this temple for the honor of God. And I wonder what it was like for people to hear the stories of this massive temple that was built with no money regards. It was just given unto God with everything that they are, and they came from everywhere. And I thought to myself, I wonder what that was like. A few weeks ago, I just got back from India, and I took a team, and uh, and I was there. This was my 16th trip, as I, I told you, and uh, it was awesome. And I've never been to the Taj Mahal, and I got to go to the Taj Mahal. And so we're flying from Hyderabad to, to Delhi. And as we're on our way, um, they tell us that in Delhi, uh, it is the most significant smog day they have ever had in the history of Delhi. Scale of 1 to 10, they're usually about an 8, 8.5. It was a 93, okay, and that's no exaggeration. Delta and United would not even fly their planes into Delhi. The smog was so bad. So we land, and people started putting their face masks on and everything, and I'm sitting there going, why in the world am I going to the Taj Mahal? And we get off, and it's like just fog, just thick, gross, and it's smell, and you just breathe it in. And then we had to drive about four hours outside of town to get to where the Taj was. And we got to our hotel at 11.30, and I'm going, this just can't be worth it. <laughs> and we got up, and we fought the crowds, and we got to the Taj, and uh, I came, and here's a picture of it. And as I, I stood and I looked at this thing, I was like, wow. And then we got up close, and our group just took a picture at this angle. Think about it, it was built in the 1600s and all the marble and all the pieces of intricacy. And I stood there at this gigantic monument and I went, this is unbelievable. It was worth it. I might have one lung that is just clearly damaged for life, but it is worth it. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I wonder what it was like for people to come up and see a temple that was built unto the God of the universe. Just think, after all that travel and all that they went through, they might have got there, and they might have just felt the very presence of God. They might have gone, this is worth it. And God was reminding again, Israel, that I am going to put you in a position to be a blessing. But instead of blessing, Solomon chose to do what God told him not to do, and he married women from foreign lands. And not only did he marry women from foreign lands, he began to worship their gods. And as he began to worship their gods, he completely disobeyed God. And God said, if you are going to forsake me, Solomon, and go after other gods, I will divide your kingdom, and I will tear down the temple that you built in my name. And Solomon dies, and the kingdom of Israel is divided, and opportunity is completely lost. Two to three hundred years goes by, chaos breaks out in both kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was invaded by Syria. Judah was on the verge of implosion and destruction. Israel can't bless herself, let alone be a blessing to anyone else. Judah's going to be invaded, has lost all power and position that had been given to them by God. Their strength had been taken away from them. All looks like it is lost. But right in the middle of chaos, God sends a prophet to speak and to remind them of who he is and the message he has. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This prophet Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says this. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servants, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. But listen to this. I will also, <laughs> I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
God was saying, remember what I started with, with Abraham. Remember what was going on now. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, Isaiah comes and he said, you are going to be a light. I'm going to do something through you, Israel, that I can't even explain, but all the Gentiles will look to you and you will shed the light of your God. And I just imagine, what a joke. We can't even light up our own lives. Nobody would be attracted to us. What are you talking about? Salvation? We can't even save ourselves. And you're saying to the ends of the earth, and they were losing hope. And why not? Chaos continued to break forth. The southern kingdom was taken over by Syria. Another 300 years go by. Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar come and they tear down the city of Jerusalem. Solomon's temple is destroyed. As God said, the place is in shambles for another 300 years. And then yet God speaks up one more time and he sends another prophet. And he's really saying, honestly, don't lose hope. You can do it. Hang in there. Many of you have kids. You know what I'm talking about. My daughter Ella is a gymnast, and, 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 and I go to her matches, and, and, and it drives me nuts because I get probably more nervous than her when she gets on that little beam. And she gets on that beam, and she flips with no arms, and she tries and lands on her feet. One time, she didn't land on her feet, and she fell, and I, and I remember going to her, and I just looked at her, and I said, you got this. It's okay. Just get back up on the beam one more time. I believe in you. She got back up on that beam, and I couldn't watch. <laughs> Because in my heart, I'm like, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope she does it. And it's almost like the prophet was saying to these people, I know you've been waiting and waiting. And I know story after story has been passed down. And I don't, generation after generation has passed. But Malachi comes, and here's what he says, chapter 1, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. Think about that. In every place that incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. <laughs> and if I was plopped down in this era of time with those people and all that they had gone through, I think they might have been sitting around after this prophet spoke, and I think they maybe just went, it ain't going to happen. This is a joke. Your name's being mocked among the nations. People are saying, your God can't even take care of his own people. Why would he ever take care of me? Malachi says, no, my name's going to be great. For where the sun rises to where it sets. Which means that my name is going to be known throughout the world. And everybody on planet earth will know who I am. And the people of Judah couldn't hear it because they didn't have ears to hear anymore. They were fed up, they were tired, they were overrun by Assyria and Babylon, and history tells us it just continued on and on. But you see this unbelievable, impossible promise. It felt like it would end there. All the nations would not be blessed by Abraham. Nobody was interested in calling God their God, and God was silent once again for hundreds of years. But that's what makes Christmas so remarkable. When things were as hopeless as they could be, when nothing could be further away than the promise of Abraham, God continued to say, I will, I will, I will, because I am. And we fast forward to this man named the Apostle Paul, and his perspective is totally different because he is on the other side of Christmas. And in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 5, here's what he says. He says, but when the set time had fully come. 
God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. But when the set time had fully come, when Paul wrote this, Rome was at peace. Nations that had warred against one another, there was peace. They weren't warring anymore. The economy was booming. Ports were booming. And Rome was connected to all the major populations through the ports around the Mediterranean Rim. When at last there was an open road, when God had the undivided attention to export this message of hope to bless the world and everyone on the planet, when everything was as God wanted and no one was expecting it, when all hope was lost, Here's what God said. He broke through the silence. And in Luke chapter 1, he says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And listen to this, his kingdom will never end. You know what? With that scripture, in 2,000 years, fast forward to where we are today, pretty much everybody knows the virgin's name, don't they? How did that happen? This month, all over the world, people are going to tell the story. Thousands of years later, three or 4,000 years from Abraham's promise from God, all the way to us today, the story is still being told. How unbelievable is that? And the world knows that there is this one Jesus who came to save the world. See, God kept his promise. And Israel, in fact, would be a light to all the Gentiles. God sent his son into the world from his life and his birth and his resurrection from the dead. He has been the centerpiece for history and has been a light into the world from that day forward. Most of you here today who are not Jewish, you are Gentiles. You worship a Jewish shaver, savior. You see, the God of the Christian is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the Old Testament scriptures, when we look at it, it is so precious to us, and it means so much to us that somebody said, let's put it together with these New Testament scriptures, and we'll form this thing called the Bible. And together, the story of God was being told from cover to cover, and the reason the Old Testament is so, so rich is because it is the cocoon, it is the birthplace of the Savior of the world, and the story that God was writing started in Genesis as in still being written today. And this Christmas, we don't just celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the promises of God. Think about it. What makes the story so unbelievable is that it is so remarkable. No one could have made this stuff up. No one could have pieced the story together with two or three hundred year gaps 
and silence of a God and pieced it together where you look at the narrative and you see the prophecies and then you see them all, every single one of them fulfilled. Nobody could do that, but in history there was a God who was writing a story that is different than the story we want him to write many of the times because his timing is never our timing. And he's not really quick about most things, is he? But his question to Abraham is the same question as it is to us. I've left you a bunch of writings with some amazing promises and truth. I've given you as a, this as a guide so you could live your life differently than the world. That Jesus might come and reign and his love might be supreme. The question is, are you going to accept it? And the question is, are you going to trust it? So we come to this Christmas story, and it's still unfolding. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, guess what? It's in your hands now. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Who needs Christmas? It's pretty simple this morning. The world needs Christmas. Through Christmas, we are reminded in the most remarkable way that God is active even when he seems like he's not. That through him, Jews became a light to the Gentiles. And this Jewish God is worshipped all over the world. Let me remind you that even when our God is silent, our God is not still. God is interested in the affairs of the world, but let me tell you, that means he's interested in you. God doesn't think in terms of nations, he actually thinks in terms of individuals. Not just savior of the world, but savior of you and your world. And I want to remind you, wherever you're at today, whatever circumstance you're sitting in, and it may be contrary to what I've told you, God can be trusted. God might be silent in your life like he was for hundreds and hundreds of years, but he was never still. And at just the set time, he was preparing to unveil something that would change the world. Let me remind you, you are the light of the world. And as we wrap things up today, my question is, what are you going to do with it? Think if someone was plopped down in our culture as I started and they read the headlines. They might think and they might perceive that God, there is no God. There is no light. He's not at work. He is silent in this generation. But just like our look through history, God is not still. And right now, I don't believe he is silent. I think it is the best time for us to be the church. And we have the greatest and the easiest opportunity this Christmas to share his light. I want you to think about it. I want you to think how dim that light was on Christmas. I want you to think in that moment in that stable, in a moment that was so significant for us as followers of Jesus, it was really insignificant to all of those that were around. In that humble, quiet, small, what we might even think irreverent place. There was a light that came on that one simple night that changed the world. And for many of you sitting in this room today, it changed you. And the promise that was given to Isaiah and the promise that was given to Malachi was to say, I'm going to be a light to the whole world. And I'm going to come and I'm going to do something so remarkable in a way that you could never imagine. 
and the insignificance of that light that shone to a few wise men and a couple cows and Mary and Joseph has become the greatest and most significant light that was ever shed on this world. So let me ask you, who needs Christmas? Who in your world that sits around you has never experienced the love and the hope and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the light of the world? Can I just challenge you that there's somebody in your family, there's somebody in your neighborhood, there's somebody on your block, there's somebody at your workplace that needs to hear the message of Christ, that needs to experience hope. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you were here. We want you to know that that light and that hope is available to you right now in this moment. But if you have someone this season, don't. Don't miss the opportunity to bring them to one of our Christmas Eve services. you got nine opportunities between these three campuses to bring someone to hear the hope of Christ. And my prayer is that this season, for this church, which is the greatest time to be the church because the world desperately needs hope, they desperately need to see Christ, that I pray that when they walk through these doors, they not only would see Christ, they would experience Christ with you because you guys now are the light that is to carry forth Jesus who needs Christmas the world does and may we be the ones that are ready to share it Father God thank you that you were weaving this unbelievable story that throughout history and throughout cultures and throughout silence you were not still. And at just the right time, heaven came down and Jesus was born into the world. God, this Christmas, may it, friends, we be a light. May we love those around us. May we become great inviters. May you empower us with your spirit to be people that would want people to know your love because we've experienced the light of the world. God, I just pray over this group of people right here at this service. Some are struggling with the circumstances they're in. Some of them think you are really silent right now. In fact, I know some of them have think, have think that you've forgotten them. I pray, God, in maybe your silence to them that they would know you're not still, that they would feel your presence, they would feel your peace, and they would experience your hope today. And if there is someone here who does not know you, that simply in their heart right now in this moment, they would say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I believe this story of Christmas, and I just confess that I need you. And in their own way, in their own words, they would just say, God, would you come into my heart? Would you forgive my sin and my shortcomings? And God, I believe in you and I believe in your son. So we lift up that name of Jesus. That is the name above all names, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that there is this one name, Jesus Christ. And the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the same God for us that we serve today. And we honor you as we honor the name of your son who changed this world. It's in that powerful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.